so uh, this is the final talk on Samson, and we'll look at his downfall in Judges 16. Um, it's possible to be empowered by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, and still make horrendous mistakes. And if I'm preaching to anyone this morning, I'm preaching to myself. Okay, so please don't think that you're uh, that this is any attempt to condemn anyone here. This is just what we're looking. This is this is in scripture. So we need to look at scripture, but obviously we need to allow the Lord to speak to us. We're looking at the account where Delilah provokes Samson until he reveals to her that his strength is in his hair. At which point she binds him and hands him over to the Philistines. I just want to pray again, partly because this seems so kind of timely, really, what I'm sharing. Father, I just ask for your help for me, Lord, and your help for each one of us. Lord, none of us are perfect. Father, all of us are vulnerable uh, in certain situations and at certain times, Lord. But I thank you that you're with us now. I thank you that we've enjoyed your presence in worship, Lord. And I just ask that you would help me to share what is right to share, Lord, and help each of us to weigh what we're hearing so that we receive the good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, this... um. This phrase, into the snare, doesn't pop up in the, in the passage at all. Um, I just want to say what a snare is. And a snare is designed to look harmless. And, um, and it doesn't kill immediately. Sometimes it doesn't even kill at all. But it does slow the victim down and it prevents them from doing what they're trying to do. People say things like, oh, I don't see any harm in that. Or I can't see how that's hurting anyone as they open a second bottle of wine or as they play a lottery ticket or as they just sneak into that overdraft or gossip behind someone's back. And I came across this saying, the devil's boots don't creak. You can't see him, you can't hear him coming. And um, a snare is designed to be invisible, really. Um, It can be camouflaged. And also, a snare is baited. So there's normally something attractive inside the snare, something enticing. There's a hook hidden inside. We, we see something that we want to do, and we think, that looks natural to me, or um, everything feels right about it, or everyone else is doing it. And the action that we're being tempted to take might well be lawful. Um, But it might not be what God wants us to do. Now, the story of Samson and Delilah has got everything you need for a spy movie. Um, It's got a heroic man, um, a female secret agent. It's got love. It's got money. It's got death. Ironic comeback. It's a tragic comeback as well, I should say. But it's a wonderful story. Um, But we're obviously looking this morning and saying, well, how can we stop ourselves falling into snares and traps? The devil, of course, wants to trap us. But sometimes we create traps of our own and he just sits back and uh, leaves us to it. Um, And others create snares. Um, I think it's something that a lot of people do. We we create snares for others to fall into. And um, I just pray that God will speak to each of us individually because this is very much... What's going on in your life? I don't know what God's doing with you. And I'm looking at this. I'm not thinking about particular people as I share this, apart from perhaps myself. Um, Now, I did enjoy, if you want a biblical reference to snare, Psalm 91 has one. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Here it is, verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler that's just someone who would trap birds 
fowl being birds, of course, and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence like a plague that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Wonderful passage. The whole psalm is wonderful. If you don't have Psalm 91 kind of up there in your in your memory bank, not memorized, but you know where to go, then I strongly recommend that you do. But let's dive into Judges 16 then. Um, Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot. Told Samson and went into. They surrounded the place, laying wait for him all night in the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, "In the morning, when it's daylight, we'll kill him." And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. I'm not going to put a map up there, but if you looked it up or if you have one at the back of your Bible, you'd see that from Gaza, which of course we all know well now, um, to Hebron is about 40 miles now, we have some people who do kind of feats. I'm just looking for Danny there. We have some people who do feats of strength. I used to love watching World's Strongest Man. Um, always seems to be on about New Year time. And you watch these people. Well, this is a pretty impressive feat of Samson's. He hasn't even been empowered by the Spirit. He just does it um, at this point. But why is he in Gaza? Philistine city. He's among his enemies. He's there, obviously, for a woman. There are four women in Samson's life. His mother, first of all. He didn't honour his Nazarite vow particularly, as we've seen, chapters 14 and 15. Then he meets this Philistine woman at Timnah. We saw that last time and he became, well, they married very briefly and unsuccessfully. Failed spectacularly, if you weren't here, have a read of Judges 14 and 15. And then with this harlot in Gaza, he barely escapes with his life because he's surrounded by his enemies. So mother, wife, prostitute, and then the fourth woman in his life, this gets worse and worse, unfortunately, for Samson. This isn't a negative thing about women. This is just what happens with Samson. Um, Delilah, um, his, his um, nemesis, is downfall. Verse 4, afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Very, very famous story, this, isn't it? I don't know if any of you have seen, you might want to hunt it up on YouTube. There's a Weetabix advert that includes Samson. And he wakes up with his head shorn and Delilah's laughing away. And then he gets out a bowl of Weetabix and he eats his Weetabix and she runs off and his strength returns. That's not in the original story. Okay. So this is the first time that he's loved a woman. Uh, it says in the, in the account. And this is a snare for him because she means him harm. He's besotted with her. He's head over heels in love with Delilah. He'll do anything for her. And look what happens. The lords of the Philistines come up to her and say to her, entice him like the snare. Find out where his great strength lies, by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Every one of us we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver or shekels of silver. Now, there's probably five lords, uh, most people think, because there were five Philistine cities. So those of you who are quick at maths, I've got it written down here, um, will know it's 5,500 shekels. How much is that? Abraham gives 400 shekels of silver for a field. 
So this is much, much more. It was about million pounds, the average salary back then, which makes it worth about 14 million pounds. 14 million pounds is offered to Delilah. Um, does she actually love him? I think even if you loved someone, you would think twice, wouldn't you? And think, hmm, is this, this is a lot of money. Is this worth it? How much was it Nigel Farage was played for, uh, paid for? I'm a celebrity, get me out of it. Is it 1.5 million pounds? Um, this is much, much more than that. She's lured by greed. Those who desire to be rich, it says in 1 Timothy 6, fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of perdition, I think, is damnation. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not just Samson, make it clear. It's Delilah who falls into a snare here as well, I suggest. Both of them are, are snared. And in fact, Delilah is the main character in this story. If you're looking at this in terms of a, uh, of a story construct, she's the one who does everything. So this is actually quite a good story in terms of feminist rights and things like that and active Samson very passive um, we don't know what happened to Delilah though after this she disappears so whether whether she because she's a very independent woman and um, she doesn't seem to have a male figure involved with her at all she just takes all the decisions herself unlike the the wife at Timna who was was functioning under her father's um, kind of orbit um, that she is, could be, just to give Delilah a bit of credit, it could be, if she is Philistine, that she is doing this uh, as a patriot, because Samson is a real pain to the Philistines, so she might be helping her people out. But it's interesting as well, just to look at 2 Timothy 3, because this story is relevant to today. You should know this, Timothy, says Paul. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. We are in the last days. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Delilah and Samson kind of embody these qualities between them. Delilah betrays Samson, as we know. She, she is a lover of money, I suspect. Samson is a lover of pleasure, isn't he? Rather than a lover of God. And um, he's also, of course, disobedient to his parents. And he's reckless and puffed up, we see in this particular story. These are all behaviours that we need to avoid aren't they? And sometimes it's helpful to remind ourselves what we should avoid as well as what we should uh, emulate, what we should copy. Samson could have done with reading the book. says a prostitute will bring you to poverty. Um, I quite like the New King James translation which says a harlot will reduce you to a crust of bread. Um, and also in Proverbs there's the a long section in Proverbs 7 where it talks about a woman who decides to uh, lure a young man into her chamber. And she says in Proverbs 7.18, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. Just like this is a snare. It sounds appealing. It sounds okay. It sounds nothing wrong with that, surely. Um, this is an important verse. Proverbs 14.12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
so many things seem right. And don't forget we're talking here about a man who's called of God, who had a miraculous birth, who had an angelic pronouncement, and who had an extraordinary empowering of the Spirit on him. And yet he's falling into all these snares. So uh, let's uh, continue with the story. Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now, men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. You wonder, don't you, if somehow God rendered Samson temporarily blind so he didn't see these Philistines. How did he not detect the presence of his enemies around him? Or maybe he was so puffed up that he didn't even care. Um, What does Delilah say? This has turned out really big, this verse. Delilah said to Samson, look, you've mocked me. You've told me lies. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. So Delilah tells him he's a liar. It's one of the things that children hate most of all as a teacher, being accused of being a liar. Something you have to be very careful to avoid because people take it very seriously. But everyone lies. It's such, and the ability to lie is always a liability. Um, I don't know who said that, but I've got it written down here. Also, all sin is a kind of lying because we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to God really or we're ignoring God and we're doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And so there's that dishonesty about it. The truth is really important, isn't it? Um, we were singing, I'm sure, well, we were looking at a verse about it, I think, in Psalm 91. The truth often doesn't get airtime that lies get. Look at the BBC News. Um, we don't hear the truth. Look at adverts. They lie to you all the time and we just take it all in. Um, I was reminded of that well-known proverb, which isn't biblical, but a lie gets halfway around the world while the truth is still pulling its boots on. And it's true. And we, sometimes we have to wait. Samson hasn't necessarily lied in the past, although he's, he's left things out. He's, he's been selective with the truth, which is another form of lying. His Philistine wife, he withheld things from her and he got into a bind with her. And, he's make, and, and she got burnt to death. But he hasn't learnt the lesson and he's making the same mistake again. And all of us, certainly I put my hand up and say, I've made the same mistake more than once. And the consequences do catch up with us eventually. We think, oh, I made the same mistake and it's okay. I'll just keep on doing it. It doesn't matter too much. But it could cost you your marriage. It could cost you a career. It could cost you the relationship with your children if we keep on making the same mistakes again and again. It can cost us our sense of status or sense of worth or purpose and it can be a matter of self-discipline we do need to have a higher expectation of ourselves than we have of other people um, some people bring you down to their level don't they I prefer people who raise who raise me up you know to a higher level I prefer I don't mind being with someone who makes me feel uncomfortable and prickly and and guilty because I'm thinking well maybe there's something in me that that I need to correct I can think of certain friends that when I see them, they're always saying, why are you doing that? Um, But it's good, actually. And I had a real difficulty. About 15 years ago, um, I I was struggling with anger. 
And I had a real problem with anger. And I was making some mistakes that were causing me problems. And God spoke to me through this verse, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 29.1. Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. And I think one version, it talks about he who keeps hardening his neck. If you keep hardening your neck again and again and again and ignore the warnings, there'll come a moment and you won't be able to predict it and that'll be it. And everything will change for you and you'll, be, you'll lose something significant. And God gave me the power to change through his Holy Spirit. And there were some very kind people around me, not all of them Christians, who also really supported me and helped me to see what I needed to change. And sometimes our issues can become so big that if we don't address them, our lives are going to fall apart. And this is, I know it's not kind of pretty, it gets better in a minute, but, but this is what we learn from the life of Samson. We can ask these questions, where did I go wrong? what can I do better next time Lord what, what can I learn from this Paul says something in 1 Corinthians 9 27 he says I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should otherwise I fear that after preaching to others I myself might become disqualified and I think that's not talking about losing your salvation what it's talking about is becoming like Samson is making a mess of it, falling into a snare. Let's go back to our story. Second lie. If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak and be like any other man. Delilah took new ropes, bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. And you can picture the Philistines running from the room in panic, can't you? When Samson's suddenly free again. Uh, he's just, don't you think, before. If, we, if we've been here, we know what Samson can do. He killed a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. Up close, a thousand. Um, so this is pretty remarkable. And Delilah is getting crosser and crosser here, but also... Uh, cunning, needing to be crafty, need to keep Samson on side. And so she says to him again, until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And Samson lies again. Look how deep he's going. Lies seldom come separately, do they? We have to lie and lie and lie. And you have to have a good memory when you start lying, don't you? If, you, if you're just telling the truth all the time, you don't need to remember what you've said before. But he says to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Interesting that he's getting closer to the truth here. And she wove it tightly with the baton of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled out the baton and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart's not with me? You've mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. This is a deja vu for Samson. Um, Judges 14, 16. Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. So there is, again, this moment. And Samson is, I believe, trying to resist temptation at this point, but he's gone too far in. We can allow ourselves to get too far, and it gets too difficult, too difficult to come back. Apparently, Leonardo da Vinci said, it's easier to resist her at the beginning than at the end. It's better to resist when it's a very tiny little flicker, a very tiny little tasty little trifle that the devil is offering you, and it's better to say no then. Um, rather than further down the line. And Delilah isn't described physically. We don't know what she looks like. And I think this is because she can represent any temptation um, 
anything that's tempting to us, we should expect that we're going to get tempted. Uh, we pray, don't we? Lead us not into temptation. Um, and we should be able to see temptation for what it is. Samson is blinded to that. Uh, William Gurnall wrote a book about uh, the armour of God. And he says this, Take God into your counsel. Heaven overlooks hell. God can see what's going on down in hell. He says, God can at any time tell you what, pl- what plots are hatching there against you. And this, uh, this is me preaching to myself, I have to say. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And Samson is a prize idiot. He's a real dolt, isn't he? We're all reading this and thinking, no, no, don't do it, Samson. If we're watching a movie, we're yelling at the TV, don't do it, Samson, this is a trap. It's kind of he's behind you, pantomime time, isn't it? You know, and he falls right into it. Um, yeah, uh, I just want to say something briefly about temptation. We know that temptation itself isn't a sin. But um, it's responding to the temptation. So in James 1, 14 to us and drag us away. It's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy life. That's not what it is. It's about things that are traps and are put there to, to trip us up. These desires give birth to sinful actions. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And we've got again the word enticed, which, uh, which speaks again about this snare. So it came to pass, she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. And I have some sympathy with Samson there. That would have been a challenge to, uh, to, to resist. He told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from birth, from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, my strength will leave me. I shall become weak and be like any other man. Somehow, in spite of his three lies, Delilah knows that he's come clean at this point. That truth sounds different to lies. We can sense truth and we can... Lies are just shifty, aren't they? And, and they're, they're hard to get hold of, but truth is strong and firm and you can stand on it and you can hold it and you can live your life by it. We can't live our life by lies. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. this is so true of Samson here. He's got no rule over his own spirit. He's like a city broken down without walls. Why does he tell Delilah the truth? I think because he loves her. And she's put him under pressure uh, and he falls for it. He does it. And he's told about the strength that he actually has. It's in his obedience to God, of course. This is the one aspect of his Nazarite vow that he actually keeps up to this point. Everything else he's broken, touched corpses, uh, drank wine, all those things. And I think Samson maybe was fearful that he'd lose this relationship with Delilah. When she found out that he's a Nazarite, that he's consecrated, um, he was concerned that he might lose this relationship. But what he didn't understand is that she didn't love him anyway. She was going to betray him. She wasn't worth... um, giving that she wasn't worth giving that power to he gave power to her and we have to be really careful who we make ourselves vulnerable to and who we give power to over our lives because you can't take it back once you've given a piece of information away like that you can't take it back it's out there it's so much better not to say anything isn't it than to say something like that and it does make me think of Judas betraying Jesus Uh, Delilah is a great 
a, a, not a, she's a terrible, but she's a, a, a significant betrayer, a traitor. And it also made me think of um, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. Uh, Edmund betrays his brother and sisters to the white witch, puts them in danger. And whenever that happens, then someone else has to step in. So Aslan had to die um, so that Edmund didn't die, um, which seems like a ridiculous outcome, doesn't it? And of course, a lot of children read that story and never realized it was a picture of Jesus dying for us. Jesus had to die again. Ridiculous that Jesus should, that the Son of God, that God Himself should have to die for, for little old me, little old you. But He did, I was saying. But let's just finish the story. You know it well, but it's worth looking at the details. Delilah saw he told her all his heart. She sent, called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more. He's told me all his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. How much was it? 14 million pounds. So that's quite, that must have taken a few cartloads to bring all that up. Um, and she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as before at other times and shake myself free. He doesn't even realize he's been shaved. Then, um, but he did not know the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. Um, they would have gouged them out and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Someone has referred to the binding, the blinding and the grinding effects of sin in our lives. Samson hadn't noticed that his strength had gone. That can happen for us too. But we don't want it to happen to us. We don't want to lose uh, the anointing of the Spirit of God. Daniel Block says, To be abandoned by God is the worst fate anyone can experience. And uh, overnight, Samson loses his freedom. He loses his sight. He loses his strength. And he becomes an object of humiliation and scorn. And he's also a picture of what will happen to Israel because they have broken God's covenant at this point and they're breaking it and they will be in the same situation. So I just want to look at one more verse from Judges. We're not going to read the last, but I just don't have time, uh, but you can read it for yourself. Um, but Judges 16.22 points toward it. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now this is a brilliant detail. This is Wonderful storytelling this, because we know immediately, storytelling of the highest order, we know Samson's hair growing is hope. It means that something might change. There might be hope yet for Samson. And I want to say this to all of you. None of you needs to lose hope either, because God can rescue us from any snare, any trap that the devil is laying for us, or that we're possibly falling into ourselves. Psalm 124, verse 7 to 8 says, Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I just want to read as well, and I think this is the final uh, little passage I want us to read from Romans. Oh, sorry, this is just a quote about Samson. Um, 
I love the title of this book, by the way. Um, In his nearsightedness, Samson illustrates a life of squandered opportunities. And this is why we don't want to be like Samson, yeah, who are listening. I haven't read that whole book, but it just had a bit about Samson. So I I looked at that, but I must come back to it. Uh, And obviously, we don't want to be that church, do we, that dies. But here, Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this is the bit. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations. Now in tribulation, so that's struggle, trial, problems, Tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. I do think it's a shame Samson hadn't memorized that passage. Of course, he didn't have access to it, it hadn't been written, um, but it would have been really good. He could have gloried in each of his tribulations, um, and he could have trusted in God. He did cry out to God at one point, and God gave him water, but there wasn't enough of that crying out. Um, and he could have persevered and not, not given way to temptation. And then he would have developed some godly character then. And then that godly character as a leader in Israel would have given Israel hope and would have shown them how to follow God. Samson is a really frustrating Bible character to study. Um, one person I was reading says this, Samson represents both the best and the worst in each of us. Called by the grace of God, bound to him by promise, repeatedly empowered, greatly gifted, but he's faithless, he's self-indulgent, and he's only too ready to fraternize with the enemy. And so that's something, obviously, that, that we can learn from. So let's just pray as we, as we close. Father, I just want to thank you for giving us the story of Samson. Lord, it's a, it's a wonderful story for children to read and, and to picture this Marvel character of a, of, a, of a Bible hero, Lord. But such a tragic end, Lord. And I just ask now, Father, that you would reveal to us, Lord, each of us, Lord, the snares that, are so, that, we are, um, that we're vulnerable to. Lord, even now some of us might be in some sort of trap. Father, and we thank you, Lord, that we can escape like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Thank you, Jesus. I just ask even now, Father, that by your spirit, Lord, you would release us and help us to have open eyes, to see the snare for what it is, Lord. Reveal to us, Father, what we, what we uh, stumble into time after time, perhaps, Lord. And it stops us from fulfilling our potential, Lord. Stops us from, from as we were singing earlier, from, uh, from uh, following you wholeheartedly, Lord. And from seeing your kingdom released. Lord, I just pray, Father, for each of us that we'd recognise that when we sin, we sin against you. Lord, we're not simply indulging ourselves, God. And we're not simply being selfish towards other people. Lord, but we're sinning against you. Depart. I just want to pray that you because of his faithlessness. Lord, we know you left Saul because he, um, because he was disobedient to you. We know that the Shekinah glory left the temple of God in Jerusalem. Lord, we do not want to lose your Holy Spirit. So we just pray, Father, that you would clean us, cleanse us, make us clean, Lord God. We confess our sin to you, Lord. We confess that we haven't done what we ought to do and that we've done things that we shouldn't have done. Lord God, but I thank you, Lord, that you can change us, Lord. 
you can transform us from one degree of glory to another. Bless each person here who's listened, Father. Help us, Lord, to respond to the word that you've brought each of us this morning. Not the words I've spoken, Lord, but the words that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. In your precious name. Amen.